Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, good morning. You know, it's kind of an amazing thing for me as I study for the, during the week and actually for the last couple of weeks, and it's like, okay, I'm going to be teaching. And I get up in the morning, and aren't you used to just coming to church in the morning? And then it's like, okay, so today I'm teaching. It still doesn't quite seem real. And then I know the schedule or the uh, order of service, and it's like, okay, in two songs I'm teaching. Yeah, it's getting real. <laughs> in one song I'm teaching, it's getting real. After this prayer, I'm teaching. I want to tell you, right now, it's real. I'm teaching today. Um, it's my thrill to, to open God's Word and see what it says to us today. Um, you know, as I study during the week, I, I've really learned to love Google because you can find everything on Google. And you start with one thing and you keep working your way down and working your way down. And I came across something this week and it said, uh, the question was, how long should a sermon be? I thought, ooh. Well, it said 28 to 30 minutes. And I'm timely challenged, so I thought, okay, I'll rise to this occasion and do that. Um, but I also came across something, and a pastor by the name of Tom Rayner has a list of, made up a list of 25 silly things that churches argue about. And I thought, wow, okay, let's see what the, where this goes. Okay, first thing. Now, I know we say Baptist people love food. I want to tell you, all churches love food. Everybody loves food, Okay. So the first thing that is an issue in churches is we have a pot luck lunch. Now all of us know that God is sovereign and we don't have luck, but we call it pot pot luck. So the next one we have, you may come to the pot luck or you may just come to the church fellowship dinner or lunch or whatever you want to call it and that's fine. He also listed in there, there was actually a church and the kitchen committee had an argument over what style of green beans they should serve. Now, I'm sure in all of eternity it's going to matter whether they were French cut or whole beans. And then there's the issue of should we serve deviled eggs at a church lunch? Well, deviled is actually a culinary term, and it refers to using hot spices or things, and it often includes mustard and cayenne pepper. Thus, the deviled eggs. But I think it's okay as long as we serve angel food cake right after that because we're sure we know what angels like, right? So, and then there's the issue of after we have our cake, we like to have coffee. And he tells, uh, relays the instance of a church who decided they wanted to go from Folgers, and I guess you coffee guys will appreciate this more, but uh, actually you probably won't even get this yet, but they went from Folgers to Starbucks because they wanted a little stronger coffee. Well, that caused a big argument in the church, and another church actually had an issue where they wanted stronger coffee. They didn't ask anybody, they just got stronger coffee. And he says people actually left the church because they had stronger coffee. And while we're in the kitchen, how about the youth group that used the crock pot that no one's used in years, but now it became an issue? Or the church that had to have two church meetings to decide whether or not they should buy a weed whip. 
And buying stuff's not easy because there's another church and he describes it as a heated argument when they needed a file cabinet. Should they buy black or brown and should they get two, three, or four drawers? And this was a heated argument. Then there's churches that debate should pastors have facial hair? And then another group was deciding how long it should be. And another church was deciding whether their staff or pastor should wear shoes (laughs) during the service. And that seems funny, but I remember being in a church service, and I saw the piano player. It was a kind of a, uh, a round thing, so I was behind the piano player. And this guy was worshiping the Lord with everything in him and playing that piano. And then with humor, I looked, and he didn't have shoes on, and it kind of chuckled. But he was worshiping the Lord. You know, we argue about the funniest things. Um, a couple of the old standbys, believe this or not, the biggest issues are always what color the church carpet should be, what color the walls should be, and what temperature should be in the auditorium. And these are the things that churches get excited about and argue about. And this morning we're going to look at Psalm chapter 133. And verse 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant when men dwell together in unity. Let's pray. So, Father, as we open your word this morning, I pray that your spirit would give us great understanding. And, Father, as we look at this issue of unity, help us to see your heart as we look at this psalm. And then as we go to the New Testament and we look at the heart of Jesus as he looks at unity. And, Father, may we take the things we learn today and apply them to our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're talking about unity today, and I want to throw out a little disclaimer. I'm not talking about unity because I know there's a problem, or I heard this about you. We're looking at Psalm 133. We started at chapter 124, and we're looking at the Psalms of Ascent. And these people are traveling, and they're going to Jerusalem for celebration. And as they're traveling now, Psalm 133, just three verses, a very short psalm, But he addresses the issue of unity. Here's my thought. You know what it's like when you're traveling together for a long time? Or for a while? You start out as a group and everybody's all happy because we're serving Jesus or we're going to go worship. And everything is great and exciting. But after you spend a little bit of time with somebody, yeah, he really snores at night. And I haven't had a good night's sleep in a week. Or his... um, personal hygiene isn't that good or or just any little quirky thing about him you know the way he laughs it just kills me oh i can't stand it and and we get those kind of things or maybe even to make it more real how about that family vacation when everybody's loaded up and you've got like a whole day trip or a day and a half trip and everybody's happy because we're going to florida and we're going to have fun but before you get there everybody's a little tense And I wonder if that's not happening here as they're traveling. There's just one more psalm of ascent that Pastor Tom is preaching on next week. But before they get there, he wants to make sure they have unity as they travel. Let me just jump ahead a minute. Romans 15, verse 5 comes before verse 6. I want you to know I studied that and I figured it out. Verse 5 says they were of one mind. Verse 6 says... They were of one mind and one mouth, and they worshiped the Lord. Unity comes before worship. And as they were about to arrive, he wanted to make sure 
that they were united in their hearts. Okay, so Psalm 133. Behold, all right, just take note. Hey, over here, I got something I'm going to say. I want you to hear it. How good it is for men to dwell in unity. Now, what does good mean to you? You go to a restaurant. You order something different on the menu for a change. I always order the same thing. I'm that kind of guy, all right? But you order something different, and you're kind of eating it, and your spouse says to you, how is it? And you go, it's good. But then before the evening's over, you go, I wouldn't order it again. Um, You go for this day trip. You go out and you do something, and it really was an uneventful day. Just nothing happened. Well, how was your day? It was good. You know, I mean... So is that what Scripture's saying here? It's, it's good to have unity. I don't think so. Now, I'm not the Hebrew guy, okay? Um, I hope Webster is because I read him a lot, but I'm not the Hebrew guy. But let me show you where else in Scripture the word good is used, and let's compare it to good for unity. So in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God is creating the world. And he creates light, and he separates the light and the darkness, and, and he separates the water from the land, and he creates the fish of the sea, he creates the birds, he creates the plants, he creates man. And God says, this is good. It's not just, ugh. How about Exodus chapter 3? God said, I'm going to bring you to a good land. Think God brought him to a mediocre? Yeah, it, it's good. It'll, it'll be okay. It's, it's good. In Numbers 13, it tells us they sent the spies into the land, and they came back with a report. And here's what the land was. When they found a, gra- the, a field full of grapes, they picked one cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between the two of them. The cluster was so big. And the pomegranates and the, and the figs were just huge. And God said, I'm going to bring you to a good land. That's a good land where the grapes are that big and the pomegranates are like that and the figs are like that. And God promised them a great, a good land. Here's one for you. Proverbs 18 says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. You know, men, you had an opportunity there for you to gain great favor with your wife. An amen just would have been everything right there. I waited. I gave you the chance. Like, okay, so my wife is good. (laughs) God said who finds a wife finds a good thing. Yes! (laughs) You have one great favor. (laughs) Psalm 73 um, says to us, it is good to draw near to the Lord. And Psalm 100, verse 5 says, the Lord is good. And when Scripture says that it is good for men to dwell in unity, it didn't just say, yeah. It says there's something of value here. There's something of excitement here. There's something of thrill here. There's something of great goodness here. There's something of profit here. Men should dwell in unity. And then he says, and it's pleasant. And let me just simply say, Webster says pleasant is agreeable. 
And let me bring it maybe to, to the young kids. You know when you're getting along with your friends and you're playing and you're agreeable, that's good. And then at some point in time you have a disagreement, maybe on the playground or somewhere on the bus, and all of a sudden things aren't so good. That isn't pleasant, is it? But the next day when you talk it out and you work it out and okay, everything's worked out, it's pleasant again. Husbands and wives, let me ask you this. When unity is broken, is it pleasant? Not really. I have a disease that I don't talk about very much. It's called flappitis. That means I talk a little too much. And every once in a while, I get to talking a little too much, and I say something to my wife that I probably shouldn't have said. And just like that, our unity is broken. And believe me, I feel it immediately. I can sense that I said something wrong. And our relationship, no matter how small it is, isn't pleasant at the moment. But to be restored and to when I, when I go to her and I apologize and I just say I wasn't thinking or I was insensitive or whatever the issue was, and our unity is restored, I thrill being married to that lady. We have a pleasant unity. It's good for us. And Scripture said it's good and it's pleasant for us to dwell in unity. And then he gives us just two examples. One is spiritual and one is a physical example. Verse 2 of this chapter, he said, It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down into the skirts of his garment. Now, that wasn't a verse that anybody just went, Amen, boy, that was thrilling. What, what does that mean? All right, let me explain this verse. Exodus chapter 30. God is giving Moses instruction for the tabernacle. And he's telling Moses in this particular section of Scripture in Exodus 30 that I want you to take some oils, and I want you to take this myrrh, and I want you to take cinnamon and sweet cane and cassia and olive oil, and it adds up. He kind of gives all the measurements. It's like 37 and a half pounds. This is a big batch of anointing oil. And God says, I want you to make this oil, and I want you to anoint the tabernacle and everything in it. He says, I want you to anoint the tabernacle and the ark and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering. I want you to anoint the lampstand and all those utensils, and I want you to anoint the table and all those utensils. And then when you have anointed everything in the tabernacle, I want you to take some of this oil, and I want you to anoint Aaron, and I want you to anoint his sons. And everything that the oil touched was set apart or holy for God, and there was a unity there. And he says, I want your unity to be just like that anointed stuff. Everything there was one and set apart for God. I love this writer. Because when they anointed Aaron, they poured it down, and it ran down his head and down his beard and down his skirts. It's kind of like me. I've, I've been a woodworker for 20 years. I have never figured out how much glue to put on something. Because more is better in my book. And I'd, I'd put glue on this surface and this surface, and I put it together and clamped it, and glue oozes out everywhere. I'm such a glue hog. I have always been. And then the guys at work tell me it's the glue that oozes out that makes it stick. So I figured that out. So more is better. When Moses, I believe it was Moses, anointed Aaron 
it says he poured it on him and it ran down and it was just not a couple of drops or a little drip or something there. It was running down him. And I think also in my heart and my mind, men struggle with unity. And he says, here, if this is going to set you apart for God and this is going to unify you, Aaron, I'm going to make sure that you are united with everything else here. And he pours it on him. And there's a unity about everything that the oil touched. And then in verse 3, he talks about Mount Hermon and about the dew of Mount Hermon. And I studied this, and I tried to find something about dew because I'm thinking in my heart and my mind, like, maybe there's a dew that come down, comes down one time a year, and it's, like, amazing. Or maybe there's a dew that just um, waters all the plants every day. Maybe there's something so amazing about dew. And I never found anything about dew in Mount Hermon. But I found this about Mount Hermon. Let me tell you a few things. First of all, Mount Hermon is about 10,000 feet high which means you can see it from about 60 miles away. Mount Hermon is the only snow-capped mountain in Israel. In fact, if you want to go skiing in Israel, you can do that in Mount Hermon. All right? So we have the snow-capped mountain, but as the snow melts and the water runs down the mountain and gains in intensity and finally comes to the bottom of the mountain, it forms the mouth of the Jordan River. And the Jordan River flows down into the Sea of Galilee and then continues down into the Dead Sea. And one thing that everybody needs in a dry, arid land is water. And so I think as we're reading this passage, he's saying, water has united everyone. Water brings, um, makes the soil fertile so along the river there and stuff. And everybody needs water. And there's a unity there. And so as they're traveling, and as they're going on, he says, people, we need to have unity. We are about to arrive. There's one more chapter left. They must have almost been there. We're about to arrive. And people, we need to be one as we go and worship the Lord. Well, that was three verses, and you think I'm done, but I'm not. Because I want to show you, I want to show you this morning what Jesus thought about unity and if you'd go to John chapter 17, if you would like. It's just days before Jesus goes to the cross. And in this chapter, Jesus has already prayed for his disciples. He's prayed that they would be one. He's prayed that God would keep them from evil. And he's prayed that um, God would sanctify them through truth, and his word is that truth. And then Jesus does something really amazing here. In verse 20 of John 17, he says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also who shall believe on me through their words. In John 17, verse 20, Jesus prayed for you. He said, I'm praying for those who will yet believe. Jesus is about to go to the cross He's about to bear my sin. The Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took my penalty for sin upon him. He would be crucified. He would die. He would rise again. And he would ascend to heaven and be with the Father. Before Jesus did that, he says, I pray that for those who would come to know me as personal Savior, who would accept my sacrifice for them, 
I pray, Father, for them now. And if you could pray one thing for somebody in all the world, what would be the first thing you would pray for them? What would Jesus pray for? I can tell you, he prayed for unity. Verse 21, he says, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I'm in thee, so also may they be one. Jesus says, Father, you're in me, and I'm in you, and they're in us. How many does that make? One. Jesus prays that we would be one with him and his Father. And the example for oneness is Jesus and the Father are one. And then he says that they may, he says, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And we're going to come back to that phrase in just a minute. Verse 22 says, and the glory which thou gavest me, I also gave to them. What is glory? What glory did Jesus give to us? He gave to us spiritual life and power. Jesus is praying us for us to be one in him and the Father, and he says, and I'll give you the power to do it. He says that they may be one even as we are one. Not only am I praying for you, I'm giving you the wherewithal to do it. Verse 23, I in them and them and they in me, that they may be made perfect in one. God's plan for believers is that we be one in Christ, that there be unity among us. And what would be the result of that unity? He says that the world may know that thou hast sent me. Do you know that when our church, when a body of believers is united in Christ as one, Jesus prayed and said, if the world could just see that, they'd come to me. It would have such an impact that the world would change. And you say, well, how could that be? That could never happen. It's already happened. Check out Acts chapter 3. Passover had taken place. And then Pentecost had taken place. The Holy Spirit had come. People were sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with power. And all these people that had come for Passover, now we're hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're accepting Christ as Savior. And instead of going home, they stayed in Jerusalem. Well, they were away from home and away with their jobs. They were staying longer than they thought they would stay. And the new believers were taking them into their homes and sharing with them. They were meeting in the temple every day to study the Word of God. Believers were selling their stuff to take care of them and help them. And the community looked and said, what is going on? And the Bible says that they were added to the church daily because of the example of what was going on in the believers, the world responded and says, something's different. I want to see what that is. And our church should be so different in this community that people would look and wonder, what's different about First Baptist Church? I, I don't get it. I don't know what's happening there. Could we be such a loving, caring church, such a united church that people would wonder what's going on? Or are we so divided like 
like Tom Rainer said, you know, some of you want brown carpet. I'm a little color challenged. We were shopping for furniture lately, and the brown couch I liked turned out to be gray, and then the brown couch I liked was green, so, and we wanted brown, so I wasn't doing very good. But, so some of you want brown, and some of you wanted blue carpet, so I tell you what we could do. We could just divide it up, and we'll put brown on this side, and we'll put blue on this side, all right? And then some of you like this really light-colored wall, but some of you wanted something to go with the blue, so we'll make that a lighter blue wall over there to make you happy. And then um, I bought light bulbs lately, and you know, there's several different kinds of light. Do you want that really daylight bright bulb? And some of you want that, so we'll put those over there. And some of you want the soft white bulb, so we'll put that over there. And uh, some of you have a problem with the way that we do communion because uh, sometimes we serve it and sometimes we have you just come get your own and, and now because of the COVID we do it that way. But, you know, well, I like to be served. Well, I like it when, they, when, they, when, when we come up and get it. So we can do it two different ways. And some of you think we should do it at the beginning of the service to honor Christ. And some think we should do it at the end of the service. So maybe we could do both. And I'm not sure I really like, I love the drums, but forgive me. I'm not sure I like the drums, uh, so I don't think we should have drums. Well, somebody else doesn't like the electric keyboard, and somebody else didn't like whatever, so I don't even know if we should have music. And, the, um, and then we're going to invite our community out, and we're going to teach on Psalm 133, verse 1. It's good when men dwell together in unity. And they'd look at our church, and they'd say, what? Where is unity? Our church should be an example of Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus prays this. The gospel changes life. And the proof in that is the way we live. We go out and we tell everybody, you need Jesus because he can change your life. And we can't even live a changed life in our church. Jesus knew that would be a great challenge. He says, you start in your church. You show each other that you can be one in Christ. Listen, we think there's a mission field outside of our church. If we're not changed inside of these walls, we'll never be changed outside of them. We need to be an example right here in our church that we can be united in Jesus Christ. Well, wouldn't it be something if they all got that? They didn't. First Corinthians, Paul has to write a letter to the church. And uh, he says to them, I beseech you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that you be of the same mind and the same judgment. And he says, somebody in Chloe's household has written me, and he, they've told me that there's division among you. And some of you are saying, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Peter, and I'm of Jesus. Well, who wouldn't want to be of Paul? Can you imagine the great testimony he had as he shares about how the great light shone down from heaven in the day he found Jesus as his Savior? Who wouldn't want to be of Apollos? The Scripture even says he was of an eloquent speaker and of great knowledge. And who wouldn't want to be a Peter? Because if you're Jewish, you'd love Peter and think Peter actually saw Jesus, talked to Jesus, touched Jesus. Well, I'd want to be a Peter. And somebody else goes, well, I'm of Christ. I don't need people. We just read what we have for the word and, and we're of Christ. And Paul looks and he says, oh, people, this can't be. Is Christ divided? Can Christ be divided? No, he cannot. And then Paul says, was I baptized for you? Or did I, excuse me. He says, were you baptized in my name? Oh, no. You know, Jesus never baptized anyone. 
Can you imagine if they were having this division in the church and some said, well, I was baptized by Paul. Someone else would say, well, I was baptized by Jesus. How that would have caused uh, division in the church. It never would have worked there. Um, Listen, we need to be of the same mind. And then in chapter 3, because the problem wasn't finished yet, he says to them, when I came back to you, and, and the commentaries tell us that this is like five years after he'd been at the church, he says, I came back to you, and I have to feed you with milk because I can't feed you with meat because you're still immature Christians. And milk is the basic, basic word of God, and the meat would have been the deeper truth of God. And he says, you can't handle the deep truth because you're still on milk. And he says, why are you in your milk? He says, because there's envy and strife and division among you. He says to the people, do you know why you never grew spiritually? Because you got division among you and strife among you. You'll never grow. The Spirit can't enlighten that wicked heart. He says you're carnal, you're fleshly. He says you walk as men. He says you act like you're not even a believer in Jesus Christ. Listen, you can't have division and be spiritual. Pride brings division. Spirituality brings unity. And there's no way that you can be divided and grow spiritually. And I'm sure that some of these people who were saying, I'm of Paul and I'm of Paulus, were walking along all spiritual and high and pious, saying, I'm really something because I believe this. And Paul says to him, you ain't nothing. You're carnal. Don't you get it? Is unity easy? No. Ephesians 4 says, with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, working to keep the Spirit of unity in the bond of peace. Listen, there's only one body. There's only one Spirit, even as you're called to one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's one God and Father above all, through all, and in you all. People, there is one, and we try to be divided. Listen, Satan says, or Jesus said in John 10, 10 of Satan, he said, a thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to steal all the glory that God could get from our unity. He seeks to kill our joy and the peace and the excitement we should have in Jesus Christ. He seeks to destroy the the plan that Jesus had um, and destroy. He wants to destroy the testimony of believers because if he can destroy our testimony, less and less people will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want to say this morning, I want to close. I'm beginning to close here. Give you a little hope. I am closing. (laughs) Wouldn't it be something if Satan and his host could laugh at, our, at us because we struggled over green beans or because we struggled over coffee. We struggle over such little things and Satan wins a victory. He seeks to steal and to kill and to destroy. And let me close with this. Listen, if you don't have unity here with someone, if you're struggling with someone, you need to go to that person. Matthew 18 says, You need to go to that person, and you need to make it right. And I want to just close with this. If you're struggling in our church, 
I don't care if it's with the order of the service, the music, the teaching, the word. If you think you have a question about our doctrine, um, if you have a question with a passage of Scripture, um, the Bible doesn't tell you to go all out and say, well, I, I understand this verse and I think everybody else is wrong and pretty quick create a division among there. What you need to do is come to your pastors and to your elders and let us seek God. Let us go to the Word. Let us pray. Let us come to you. That is the biblical way to resolve differences in our church. Oh, church, behold, it is good and it's pleasant when men dwell together in unity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us spiritual life and power because unity doesn't always come easy. We have to work at it sometimes. We have to humble ourselves. We have to be meek. We have to give to others. We have to forbear in love. Oh God, give us hearts that would do that. May we seek to be unified. Oh God, what thrill, what pleasure, what joy to be one in you and one in the Father. Pray we'd be a church that would strive to be one. In Jesus' name, amen.